Michael Bryant, author of Mere Addiction and 28 Seconds, and we're listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio. Welcome back to Rebellion Dogs Radio, episode 45. Rebellion Dogs Radio is a contemporary look at recovery from addiction, now with less dogma and more bite. Our focus on this episode, recorded March 2019, will be the second show devoted to the fifth symposium on AA history, held February 1st, 2nd, and 3rd in San Altos, California, in the San Francisco Bay Area. El Retiro San Inigo, a Jesuit monastery retreat center. Dan Caracino and Kevin Hanlon. They co-produced and directed the Emmy-winning PBS documentary film Bill W., the creative force behind Alcoholics Anonymous. In 2017, the documentary Bill W. was recognized by the Academy of Television Arts and Sciences with an Emmy Award for Best History Cultural Programming. Dan and Kevin visited over two dozen archives and private collections and interviewed uh, 75 people or so during their eight years that they were working on the film. In a few minutes, I'll share my interview with Kevin and Dan, which was Saturday in the busy main conference room, just before we'd be treated to a reenactment of the Rockefeller Dinner. Recovery Works Theater Troupe would descend upon the AA history geeks, and we'd be both educated and entertained while dining. Uh, later that night, Michelle Mirza, the AA General Service Office Archivist, would present on a collection of letters from AA co-founder Dr. Bob S. That's what entertains geeks like us. Jackie B., also on the show from San Francisco, California. Uh, Jackie's been writing recovery-based plays since 2009, They've been seen by tens of thousands of recovering alcoholics and addicts in uh, San Antonio and Atlanta for the AA conventions, 2010-2015, black box theaters, and county jails. Some attendees of the Toronto International Conference of Secular AA held the summer of 2018 will know that Jackie is one of the leading historians today in underserved populations in AA, having done primary research on early LGBTQ+, people of color, young peoples, and women in recovery. Jackie, along with her committee, curated and organized the fifth symposium on AA history. She's planning to do a sixth. That'll be in 2021. Hold the date. Uh, it sold out in 2019, and if you want to attend the 6th AA History Symposium, you might have to book early. We'll be hearing from Jackie also very soon on this show. Then, after those two interviews, I'll talk a little bit about my trip to San Francisco and the next Rebellion Dogs radio show or blog that I'm already researching. While in San Fran... 
I did a few other things. I did a workshop for the Love and Service group. I spoke at a couple of meetings, got around to a bunch more meetings. I know what it means to give someone a book you love. And I was very fortunate to be given somebody's personal copy of Physician Heal Thyself, 35 Years of Adventures in Sobriety by an AA old-timer, written by the infamous Dr. Earl M. of the Bay Area. Earl befriended Bill and other key players in AA. He became friends with Jack Alexander and inadvertently influenced James Millam, who with Catherine Ketchum penned the seminal Under the Influence, A Guide to the Myths and Realities of Alcoholism, 1980 or the early 80s anyway. Earl contributed AA Grapevine articles. Earl M's story was first in the big book in 1955 in the second edition. He loved and respected AA. He was also a forward thinker. He challenged ideas like alcoholism is but a symptom of a psychological disorder. He diverged from the AA narrative of a higher power, a God up there or out there didn't make sense to Earl. That's not how he understood the supernatural. In 65, he started an AA group uh, where they replaced the theistic 12 steps with a secular substance neutral 10 steps to Earl and the founders of the Forum Group in San Francisco in 1965. Addiction was addiction, and everyone was welcome. The group continued, even when Earl moved away for 25 years. I often joke that I didn't know why in Europe or Canada no one came up with a metric AA uh, with 10 steps, and it turns out the 10 steps already existed. If you're curious about the forum group of AA's 10 Steps, visit our Rebellion Dogs blog, Musings from San Francisco, March 2019. Some of the Earl M stuff will weigh on our next radio or blog. I'll explain why at the end of today's show. Uh, but first, the feature of this month's episode, two interviews, filmmaker... Dan Caraccino, he presented at the symposium on research he did on Bill W., which never made the cut for their Bill W. documentary. AA's co-founder had a fascination for the paranormal. And in an era before Google or television, post-modern America, a time of seeming infinite possibilities, could have captured any of us. It certainly captured uh, our founder's imagination in many ways. So Dan talked about Bill's exploration of uh, paranormal events, and he also explained why, um, though interesting, it would have been a distraction instead of an enhancement to the film they were making. Kevin Hanlon, Dan's co-writer-director, uh, he presented at the symposium as well, on early AA group troubles, missteps, and some lessons learned from our trials and errors uh, from days gone by. If you haven't seen the documentary Bill W., imagine at the turn of the century, Bill W. was listed in Time Magazine's 100 Most Important People of the 20th Century. 
The book, Alcoholics Anonymous, made the Library of Congress's 88 books that shaped America, regardless of your opinion or mine of AA's literature or personalities. There was some fascination about our society as America was self-reflecting at the beginning of this century. Who could blame a couple of would-be filmmakers for thinking, hey, there's a compelling story here. Let's let them tell you the story. So, from Los Altos, in the busy, busy presentation room, here's Kevin Hanlon and Dan Caraccino. Hi, this is Kevin. Hi, this is Dan with Page 124 Productions, and we're listening to Rebellion Dog Radio. Now, you've done lots of uh, interviews about the film when it was just came out and all that sort of thing, but looking back at it, at it now that it's been out for as long as it's been out, what surprises you most about it? Like, there must have been, you had some hopes and expectations for it, but what, what, what surprises you most about its impact on people or its place in the world? For me, the surprise, and it was, it was a delightful surprise, is that there's emotion in it. Mm-hmm. When, we were, when we were making the film, and I think to anybody who's ever been involved in anything from scratch that requires a constant recycling over the same material, mm-hmm. um, you, can, you really lose the forest or the trees, right? Mm-hmm. We, we would talk about this a lot. We, we, we'd be like, well, it's factual, we know it's factual, and we trust the facts, but does this thing have any emotion? Mm-hmm. And so even when we released the film, we, we had our doubts. We, we knew there was a scene or two that would be emotional. Um, there's a scene where a woman talks about how uh, she's always welcome back, even though she's just using a group. Yeah. And she gets very emotional. And, and that scene always got to me. And I thought, okay, I know that part will be emotional. But mm-hmm. overall, will it just be boring? Will it just, is it too factual? I did Q&As out in California and, you know, wherever the film opened, Kevin did the same thing. We rarely did them together. And we, we would always come back with... Well, uh, people are coming up to us after the movie crying, so I guess I guess the movie's emotional. Yeah, and it's yeah that was that was really the big surprise. Uh, I think for me, um, what was mo- b- both most surprising and most gratifying was that um, the film did do something we had hoped it would do, which was to show Bill Wilson as a human being. Mm-hmm. And what, what was surprising for me was that when we, we initially started to do the Q&As when the film was showing theatrically, and this has continued ever since mm-hmm. in, in any venue when, when um, I've done Q&As, I've been asked about it, but um, I have been a bit surprised at how much that has meant to members of AA. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you the number of times someone would come up to me after the meeting with tears in their eyes and say, and, you know, I wouldn't be expecting this. They'd say, thank you so much for showing that he was a human being. And then they might, often they would add something along the lines of, it makes it so much easier for me uh, to deal with my own alcoholism or my own problems, knowing that, that he had problems too, even yeah. though he founded this whole thing and he, he did such incredible things, but that he still struggled. And, um, you know, that, that, had a, that had a big impact on me because I thought, you know, I wanted to be able to show that in the film, but I, I don't think I could have guessed ahead of time how much that particular thing would resonate with the audience for the film. 
Yeah, it'd be like doing comedy. Like, is are, will people get this? Will it work? Is it going to deliver? Is it going to be funny? You just you don't know, do you? you? You don't know until you put it out in the world and see what happens. Yeah. You really can't know. And and neither of us are alcoholics, so <laughs> yeah. it's sort of th- there was that element to it from the standpoint of well, we think it's going to be okay, and we and we did we did operate on this philosophy of not getting in Bill W's way of letting him tell the story, but you still. And I'm sure that's why people relate to it, because we we really try to keep ourselves out of the film. Now, let's go back to that. What is, uh, what, 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 when did you first say, hey, I think there's something that more to be said here, and let's do this thing? What, what was going on in the AA world, in your own worlds, where you sort of took this project on? And I'm sure it ended up being longer and more involved than you'd ever. By, by, by leaps and bounds. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. By some, well, some sort of exponential factor. Mm-hmm. Dan, Dan and I have been friends since we were in high school, and mm-hmm. uh, Dan had always wanted to make a film, and um, you know he would bring that up with me from time to time. But he, he, I live in New York. We both grew up outside of New York. He moved to California, so we weren't we weren't even in that close touch at the time. Uh, but then he was in a position where he really wanted to make the film, and he started to press me on it. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of a coincidence, but at the time I was reading a book called Not God, which is, was the first history ever written about AA. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what this says about me, but I thought it was a page-turner. Yeah. Um, but I, actually, I, I, I do know. I do Ernie know. Kurtz is a pretty good storyteller. Right. Yeah. But I, I, know, story. I know why it was a page-turner, because mm-hmm. from the very first page, as he laid out, you know, Bill meeting Ebby, there was something in me I thought, I, I want to know what happened. Yeah. Like, what was it that, that allowed this guy to escape this, this death sentence he had? Mm-hmm. So anyway, long story short, you know, Dan sort of had to push me to make the film, and I pushed Dan to say, well, if we're going to do it, I'd like to do it about this. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything going on in the world of AA. I mean, I had, I, had z- I think we both can say we had zero connection to the world of AA at the time. Right, was, yeah. There was, there was nothing having to do with AA that made us... So was it just the turn of the century that you started talking about it, or when, when little, was this? A little after that. Yeah, we formed yeah. the company in 2003. We did the first interview in 2004, and there was a, there was a six-month to nine-month period there where we both took some classes on how to make a documentary, yeah. or how to make a film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was right around the time that HD was becoming mm-hmm. um, the standard. And... So that was a question, and we, we just got into all that. But we, I think the first interview was October 2004. Yeah. And then we, uh, the film was in theaters uh, in May of 2012. Right. So 2004 to 2012. Yeah. Now, if you'd said to me you in 2004, you, you, you got it, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I guess, I guess we should have known if we were doing a thing about 12 steps, 12 traditions, that... This film wouldn't be done until 2012, so, um, you know, but it took, it was eight years of full-time work. Yeah. Yeah. It was a huge undertaking. Well, well, let me tell you what my takeaway, the first time I ever saw it, when I didn't know either of you from Adam, and I knew a lot about AA history, of course I'd read Not God, I'm in AA, right? But I really understood, like really understood, that Bill Wilson created a fellowship that he never got to join. Like, he couldn't just, I'm quitting. I mean, there's talk about I'm going to leave, but he never could, right? He couldn't just go to a meeting and bitch about 
you know, being sick of AA, right? Like he was always, people were coming up to him, you know, Bill, you got, there's this problem. How are you going to fix it? What are we going to do about this? He never got to be just a general everyday member like anybody else did. And, and you know, that really dawned on me from watching the movie. It's, 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 one of, it's one of the great, I don't know what to call it exactly, I mean, it's, it's certainly not a tragedy, but it's one of the great sacrifices of his life yeah. that he was denied membership of the very thing he created. Yeah. Now, he, he was going to walk away in 1939, and he... Tell he, that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he had, finished, he had finished writing the big book, and um, both he and pa- Hank Parkhurst had assumed that this was pretty much the end of, of their labors for AA like this. Mm-hmm. Everyone at the time uh, thought that AA would sort of be able to take off on its own and that mm-hmm. it wasn't going to need somebody. And <laughs> just, as, just as we said, if we'd known it was going to take eight years to make the film, I wonder if Wilson had known it was going to take the rest of his life yeah. to straighten AA out. If, if, I don't know if he'd have done it or not. I yeah. hope he would have. But um, in 1939, he, there's an entry in Lois's diary where he says, where she says that, uh, you know, Bill's sort of at loose ends. He's trying to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. You know, his work for AA is over. He's mm-hmm. got to find a job. And uh, there's one other instance in 1945. He, re- he, f- he formally resigned from Alcoholics Anonymous. They had a severance package worked out. Yeah. I mean, it was a done deal. Mm-hmm. But that was him walking away from his role as the, the, the guy running the, yeah, yeah. running the office. Mm-hmm. Um, that's different than having been able to be a member. And I think that that stopped for him. Late 30s, early 40s was when he began to really be pushed out of the benefits of being of being part of the fellowship mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah definitely now uh you talked about this a little earlier today about the medium of film and the lack of film footage of alcoholics anonymous like what like no one who did a lot of documentaries would do this documentary <laughs> that's true there's a, there's a story that i suspect is apocryphal but um we have heard that a pretty prominent filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, mm-hmm. went to AA, was actually at their archives, mm-hmm. um, got to look at the photos. It was sort of, you know, they were exploring the idea of doing a documentary, and they showed him the photos. And he said, wow, yeah, so, um, you know, you know, when, when can we begin or something like that, and, you know, what do I have to sign to use the photos? Yeah. And they said, oh, oh, well, you know, of course you can't use any of these photos. <laughs> and, he, he, and he or she wisely got up and left and said, well, I can't make a documentary then. Yeah, yeah. Um, the two novices here. Um, it, it was really interesting. We, we, we joke around about, you know, taking years to figure out that there weren't any photos. But we, we knew pretty early on that there weren't photos. And we, and we knew what the challenge was going to be. And Kevin had a friend who was in AA um, who he was telling him about this opportunity to make this film and to make the film about AA. And, uh, and, but, but he said to him, we have these concerns that mm-hmm. there's no images. Like, we, yeah. how do we make a film without yeah. images? And especially a documentary. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this person said to him, Look, if it's meant to happen, doors will open. Yeah. And if it's not meant to happen, they won't. That's an A way of looking at things. Yeah, and, and we sort of adopted it. We, we yeah. just thought we went on faith. And then the things that opened were, the, in particular, the photographs that we found 
That that was that's unbelievable. I mean that that has not occurred that we know of ever. Where suddenly within within AA that that there was this enormous trove, and not just photographs. You've seen them in the mm-hmm. in the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not Polaroids. They're not. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not. Yeah, they you know, you take. Yeah, they're, they're these for the time. Yeah. Yeah, and they're well, taken by a guy who had. It's it's a photojournalistic essay yeah, in, like, in photographs. Yeah, it's like magazine. Yeah, style that, it's of uh, yeah, it's yeah. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Now uh, you had mentioned this I, I think um, I don't know if it was in the movie or one of the talks you, you gave about Bill's ability like a sort of a third eye to sort of read through a person's uh, telling their own story and get to the pain of what that person was at and relating to <coughs> That's, that is one of my favorite things it was actually Ernie Kurtz who said that when we, mm-hmm. we interviewed him um, and he's what what he said was that uh, I had the same experience by the way that mm-hmm. he 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 read so many of Wilson's letters and um, he, he he would realize as he was reading the letters that Wilson was seeing something mm-hmm. in the people who wrote to him that Ernie himself didn't see when he read the letters that were written to him and he said that I, I think he said therapists or somebody like that has this ha- have this phrase about a third eye and then he held his hand up to like the middle of his chest and he said it's located somewhere around here yeah but it's that ability it's such a trite phrase to say read between the lines it's much more than that it's 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 an ability to hear what somebody's saying and to realize what more they're saying than what the when merely what the words are and he you know wilson clearly definitely had that he had a huge amount of empathy yeah um, yeah it's really that's what, it's the deepest yeah. kind of empathy yeah and and ernie's uh you know addition to that it was he didn't really like the guy you know like right. where his politics were and all that sort of thing and and he just you know oh my he's just he was transformed you know reading all of those letters for the, sure. the place you really see it <clears throat> I, I i this always really struck me you know wilson would have Mounds and mounds of letters on his desk, and so many, many of the responses he writes to people are, are you know, two, three, four, five lines. Mm-hmm. He tried to hide his own depression for years because mm-hmm. he was worried, and, and I think legitimately so, that if word got out that the founder of AA had depression, mm-hmm. it would have, it would have hurt AA because there was there was such stigma against it at the time. Yeah, yeah, sure, and, worse than yeah, worse than alcoholism, alcoholism right? Yeah. And then he began to let people know what was happening, and he was shocked because there was this huge response from people in AA who said, you know, I've had this too. I got sober and then I went into this depression. The letters he receives from people who are writing about depression never get those four or five line responses. He he writes back to them long, Mm -hmm. heartfelt letters. And you can tell he knows what that pain is and mm-hmm. he's responding to it in a way it's 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 special even among all of his other yeah. letters yeah his his uh sense of wanting to protect the fellowship has to be put aside by here's someone suffering and he's going to completely make himself vulnerable to them yeah. right yeah that's really something uh now for people who are listening to this episode and just came into recovery like a couple of months ago or whatever and go what film uh, what is the best way to get a hold of it now? Is it available on iTunes or Amazon or what? Yeah, th- there's the two movie? versions of the film. There's the theatrical release that we did in 2012, and that film is available on iTunes, Amazon, Vudu, 
YouTube, I think. You can go to our website, page124.com, uh, and that's 124, so page124.com. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or you can also go to billw.com. Right. That'll, that'll bring you there, too. Thank you. Yeah. That's a Smart, yeah. So, um, or they can go to Amazon and they can get a DVD. Um, so the website has a way to get to the, you know, the streaming options. Mm-hmm. The PBS one, um, that one is available as a DVD only right now. And we're going to work with PBS to figure out some way to, to stream it or something. Because oh, okay, we, great. We, we like yeah. that one better. It's a little longer. Yeah. Um, the, the, in particular, anybody who's interested in Al-Anon, there's an Al-Anon section in there yeah. um, that and, and, we weren't and, and, able to do in yeah, the other. Yeah, we got to see that, those yeah. who attended yeah. the AA History Symposium, and, and, and it doesn't feel longer, that's for sure. Right. You that's know. really good to hear that. That's really and, good and, to hear. Yeah. Uh, you know, Dan and I both feel that it's a far superior version of the film for, for a number mm-hmm. of reasons, but um, it's... it's it, Roughly 15 minutes longer, but we pulled out a lot more than 15 minutes out of the original and replaced it with different things. So yeah. it's it's not a different film, but the, but it, but the version is significantly different, and I think it's much better the yeah. PBS version. And I think the first one's okay too. Yeah, the first one. The first one's not. Yeah, you're not, you're not, yeah, you're not yeah. gonna get. You're, not, you're gonna get the. Look, you mentioned newcomers, people who just came into it. Mm-hmm. One of the most gratifying things that happens to us, we we had sort of set a standard like okay. How are we going to know that the film succeeded? Yeah. And we said, you know, when, when somebody comes up to us and says, your film led me to sobriety, mm-hmm. then we'll know yeah, that yeah. we succeeded. Yeah, yeah. Because essentially we'll have gotten out of Bill Wilson's way, and it's essentially a story of recovery, right? Yeah. And so I remember we were doing a thing. It was one of the few Q&As we did together. We were in New York. Leonard was doing a festival. And oh right, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, and we yeah. and we walked out. We walked out of the theater, and there was this young woman, um, who said to us, "Can I talk to you for a minute?" And she was, she wasn't crying, but she was very sincere and very, you know, caught up in the moment. She said, "I just want to let you know that I joined AA less than a year ago, and your film has kept me sober." She said, "I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched this film." She said, I just, when I'm feeling, I want to drink, I put in the film. And yeah. I just, yeah, and it was like, wow. I, that, that was not even, I, I wouldn't have, I still find that kind of hard to believe. You but, wouldn't have dared hope for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was sort of, okay. But it, we, we had some people in, in, a, in the AA, you know, members of AA watch the movie and would say, I like the movie, but you know, you didn't really need to include the stories from people in AA. We hear that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, and, but, but but our point was we're not making the film for, for the for the yeah. for the people. Yeah. 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 yeah, 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 not not only for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so uh, we're on the clock. We got to go, but it's been great talking to you. It's been great getting to know you at a History Lovers Symposium, and um, yeah, I just uh, it, you know you know the people here. If there was ever a sequel, or if you ever had ideas brewing. You would get, uh, you wouldn't, no one would write you checks, but you get all the encouragement you need. Yeah. Well, thanks, Joe. It's been great thanks talking for having to us you, on. Joe. Thanks yeah, very you bet. much. Really, really yeah, appreciate the opportunity. For some time. You bet. That was pretty cool, wasn't it? We'll have a link uh, to those websites we talked about uh, on our webpage. Uh, Jackie presented at the Fifth Symposium on AA History. 
about uh, AA finding its way to San Quentin prison. And while she was working on the symposium, she was also in the middle of rehearsals for the 10th anniversary run of her first ever recovery play, In Our Own Words, based on her early AA research. Somewhere, if you're in San Fran, between the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art and the Fillmore, north of the Mission District, at 156 Eddy Street, you'll find Exit Theater. It is here, as the final dress rehearsal was winding up, before the sold-out 10th anniversary opening night, we catch up with Jackie B. This is Jackie B. of Recovery Works Theatre, and you are listening to Rebellion Dogs Radio. So you're, uh, at the time of recording here, we are right between the, uh, a- the Symposium of AA History and the 10th anniversary of your very first play. We're here at the uh, dress rehearsal, and uh, how prepared do you think your cast is? <laughs> You know, they always manage uh, to pull it together at the end, so uh, especially since we didn't rehearse last weekend because of the history conference, I'm, I'm feeling good. So, yeah, I think I've, they've been in a worse position before, and, and uh, I'm, I'm optimistic that uh, they'll pull it off, but we usually do. So. And uh, what are your thoughts, like, ten years later? Don't worry about it. Uh, ten, what's my thoughts 10 years later? Sometimes I feel like I don't actually stop to think very much, and it's just like any time I just get a chance to keep going and doing it again and doing another play again. They were the ones who wanted to do this play again. Some of the people, like, they did it 10 years ago, and so it's just wild to be like, to looking back, um, I'm a little frazzled because I'm... <laughs> I kind of took on a lot this time around. But it's also interesting because I feel like I the plays I wrote afterwards I'm a little bit more attached to because mm-hmm. I, there was more original writing in it. Mm-hmm. And, and so with this play, we did it for four years. We did it so long. Mm-hmm. But... I, it, I can see them enjoying it, and I just keep remembering, like, I think it's, the audience really loves this play. So mm-hmm. even though, like, it's not quite my baby, like, I wrote this play in four months, Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then if you look at the play I wrote on the Traditions by, uh, and the play I wrote on, by on the Third Legacy, those took me two to three years to research yeah. and write. And mm-hmm. this one I just kind of, like... Pulled out of the book. Pulled out of the... Yeah, I just stole, blatantly stole from speaker tapes and the book and just edit it together and um, but as I was also saying I, I mentioned to you is that you know it always it struck me especially since we did the history symposium last week and it was the theme was uh, the broad highway and then the second act of this play is so much about um, early pioneers from special composition groups that it was like yeah Ricardo was in it um, and Dick P was in it and you know Jim B was in the first act, like the whole the whole second act. I was like, I was like, I've been interested in this for ten years. You know, I've been interested in underserved populations and telling those stories for ten years. And I I thought that was pretty cool. And finding different ways to share it, whether it's the history symposium or whether it's um, so that made me really happy. It made me really happy that their stories are getting told and 
Um, <laughs> I'm definitely looking forward for to to sleep in. That's what I'm looking forward to. But um, it is exciting. So. And have you had any time at all to sort of uh, unwind and think about uh, the history symposium? It moves from Sedona to uh, Los Altos. You sell out, right? So yeah. how did you think it went? I thought it was amazing. Um, I was so happy. Um, I think everyone, I mean, there were so few hiccups. Um, I mean, they were there, but, and a lot of people stepped in. We didn't have well, enough. Well, yeah, there were, was a death in the family in one case. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Like, yeah, for the speakers, it was yeah, definitely yeah. one of the speakers, inju- you know, injured her knee, wasn't sure she was going to go. There was a death in the family of another one. Another person had bronchitis. Um, but people just stepped in. And even, like, when we didn't have enough registration volunteers, just people stepped in and did it and um, helped out. And, uh, and I, yeah, I, I thought it went smoothly. And I liked, you know, what the founders, Jay and Bill, were there, and they said is that we brought the, the symposium into the circle and triangle. And that was our big goal was to kind of really bring in the three legacies, especially the second and third legacy, and, you know, um, move it into a committee system versus, you know, and use things like group conscious to make decisions. And then also um, to uh, kind of move it away from, bring in, like, basically make it feel like an A conference, you know, from having, like, five-minute introductory speakers talking about their current experience with the topic, you know, so we had... Um, someone who does H&I in San Quentin talk about that before I started doing the history of San Quentin. We had someone who had gone sober in women's groups and gay groups uh, talk be- for five minutes about her personal experience before you talked about the history of special uh, purpose groups, um, special composition groups. And I thought that was really nice, sobriety countdown. There were just, it was really, um, it was really cozy and homey, and um, I was really pleased, so... And I got some really positive feedback. So I, we will do it again. It's we're, We've decided it's just a matter. I don't think we'll do it next year. I think we're going to, with the Detroit coming, um, we're definitely going to take another year off. And I think it might become like, you know, like the um, international uh, uh, conference, uh, the ICSA conference, the National Conference of Secular AA. I think we might do it every two years, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of saturation of conferences right now mm-hmm. and roundups, yeah. and I think rather than, you know, um, to some degree, let's not take away from each other, especially mm-hmm. the National AA Archives Workshop. I think the History Conference is really important, but I think the Archives Workshop is also incredibly important, and um, we definitely, you know, want to, you know, not compete with them in any way for for people, if that makes sense. Um, But it will be interesting to see what this becomes um, in the future. Now, just to back up a little bit, you rattled off second, third legacy. For anyone listening who wouldn't be familiar with what you're (laughs) talking about. Um, The three legacies, uh, Bill, um, basically the idea is the circle and the triangle. the first legacy is the 12 steps, is our individual recovery um, through, for many of us, the 12 steps. Um, and then Bill considered the second legacy the traditions, which is the means and symbol of our unity. So when you look at the circle and the triangle, the base says recovery, and then one of the arms says unity. And then the third legacy is service, all the ways that AA carries the message to the suffering alcoholic, um, from making coffee all the way through the general service conference, and then the 12 concepts kind of 
codified the lessons of experience of doing that kind of world service. And so, you know, um, recovery, unity, unity, service, the steps, traditions, and concepts uh, kind of represent the three legacies. And so, um, you know, in Sedona, it was really run by two wonderful, amazing people, but it was two wonderful, amazing people, um, and it was operated and hosted by a private retreat center. Mm -hmm. You know, this was... Uh, the first year that the History Symposium was run, organized by a committee. Um, it wasn't, you know, um, affiliated with a specific retreat center. Um, and, of course, we're not an AA group, but just because we're not an AA group doesn't mean we can't care about the traditions or, you know, um, things like that. We'll see what happens with rotating. The rotating. I don't think we're going to rotate the uh, uh, host committee for a little while because we want to get it on its feet and have a prudent reserve and things like that. But those are all the kinds of concepts that we're, you know, trusting our trusted servants and, and all that kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, we took a lot of pains to, like, really push, you know, um, maintaining anonymity um, uh, because we were recording the sessions. And, you know, for historians, there it's a very tricky thing, you know, posthumous anonymity because, you, in order to do real research, and especially once you start getting into like, um, you know, uh, genealogical research or census research, you have to know last names. Um, but uh, and so a lot of times we end up finding out. And once you get into archives, you usually do find out what people's last names are. But you know, the the symposium we are sh we're sharing it with both a lay audience and an audience of. Um, people who do research, and so we decided we wanted to respect last names and anonymity and be careful about not having too much mention of uh, everyone's got personal projects, you know, you have, you know, we mentioned that you were a podcaster, we didn't mention what podcast, you know, uh, we talked about, you know, I mentioned that I do plays about recovery, but I didn't say recovery works theater, which is really only our public persona. Mm -hmm. Most of the time we don't perform as recovery works theater, most of the time we just perform as a group of drunks, you know, as a bunch of AA members, because mm -hmm. we do shows for intergroups and stuff, so... Now, here's a, a, a good problem to have. Mm -hmm. Everyone loved the Jesuit Center. It was a great place for the retreat, but it uh, didn't allow the total number of people who wanted to go to go. So do you go back there again, or do you try to find a bigger place? Uh, have you had any thoughts or feedback about what the best way to go would be there? I mean, I haven't gotten as much feedback as I would like. <laughs> I was really trying to solicit people... Um, but everyone liked the retreat center. I, I do think that one of the things we're going to do is that if we do keep it in Northern California, we're going to go to a different side of the bay. Mm -hmm. um, and we are seriously thinking actually about going down to Southern California too. Um, mm -hmm. And there is a retreat center in Southern California. In an ideal world, I could find a retreat center that had a big enough hall, mm -hmm. you know, um, that could have a bigger hall to accommodate maybe 200 people. I don't know if we would have had 300 people trying to get in. Maybe, maybe. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, uh, so it's hard. And this is where I might have to just let go of my... We'll see. Like, eventually it's going to become what, you know, the fellowship and what people want it to become and whoever becomes the new host committee one day. Um, for me, what was special about Sedona was the time I spent having communal meals with people and just being able to sit down and plop myself down next to Josie and 
<laughs> you know, when people go to hotels, um, when they you do conferences at hotels, it's very easy to just kind of go off into your small little groups. Mm-hmm. And it feels a lot more awkward to like, you know, in the middle of the restaurant, go and sit down mm-hmm. next to, you know, a presenter. Mm-hmm. But when it's a communal dining room, it's mm-hmm. a little bit more friendly. And, yeah, and totally, when it's yeah. in a retreat it, center. It's more democratic. Yeah. And so for me, the retreat center... Um, setting always facilitated a kind of more of a, I don't want to call it networking, but connections, connections between people in a way that I don't think hotels do. So it really also becomes a question of, you know, is this a specialized conference or is this for any AA member? And I do think there's a certain degree of like, uh, I don't want to say specialization. Like I personally think that someone who doesn't know a lot about AA history, like go to, let's, let's have some really good history panels at every Mm-hmm. Conference. Let's, mm-hmm. Every conference should have at least one history speaker and like, or one history panel or a couple. And it would be really cool if like the AA History Symposium is what Morphed ends up into other conferences. Well, yeah. or is the place where people go who end up being the ones who then mm-hmm. present. I mean, mm-hmm. in an ideal world, I think a big goal that J and J um, S and Bill S had when they created the symposium is to like you know uh, really teach people about what it means to do archival research and to ask about sources and to just be a little bit more careful about the way in which we share history. And, and, you know, a a lot of history gets shared because someone heard something that they heard something or regurgitating the same. Yeah. Or they read it in a, I don't even know if they read it in books anymore. They read it on silkworth.net, but I mean, I love certain websites too, but you know, silkworth.net has everything from Ernie's K's writing to Dick B's writing. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of find what you want to read. And so um, I, I think this symposium can do a lot for teaching the people who may go out and then, you know, kind of do these history conferences. But, you know, it's not really up to me, you know, in a way. Like, it's going to become its own thing. And it is. it was very hard to say no to people, for sure. Mm-hmm. I did not like that feeling at all. But um, I guess it is a good problem to have. Uh, that said, for people who have something they want to say, whether they made it or didn't, or uh, about topic ideas, what's the best way to get a hold of you and or the committee going forward? We have a contact page on our website, www.aahistorysymposium.org, um, for uh, members, alcoholic members, to contact us. And, um, you know, um, if you reach out, then you'll get my email and yeah, that's it. And we're definitely going to send out an email. Um, and <laughs> I have a play this weekend. Otherwise, I might have actually sent out this email sooner. That's all I keep thinking about is I have a lot of follow-up work to do. But, um, um, we're <laughs> oh, my God. Um, yeah. And so uh, I, I want to send out a follow-up saying, you know, we're interested in seeing if anyone wants to join the host committee. Um, they probably need to be local in Northern California uh, this coming 2021 and always uh, want to hear from people who are interested in doing presentations and what they want to hear but I of course I already have a list of everything <laughs> for 2021 I'm practically but again not up to me luckily this is the nice thing about having committee like mm-hmm. I mean I'm it's it's really and I, I yeah so it, I don't want it to be, just become the Jackie show, which is my big goal was not to make it the Jackie show. So I think I succeeded. So. Well, on uh, behalf of everybody listening, Jackie, thanks for all you do. 
Okay, uh, my pleasure. Thank you, Joe, for what you do. I'm going to miss you. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get to see you again. I I'm on Facebook. It's not that far away. Oh, I know. It's not the same. It's okay. From everything I heard, the 10th anniversary was a smash. They added a show at the San Francisco's Gratitude Club. While in San Fran for the History Symposium, I toured around a few meetings. Wish I could have gotten more in. I blogged a little about um, the Dr. Earl M. book, Physician Heal Thyself, 35 Years of Adventure and Sobriety from an AA old-timer. Here's a gem from that book on page 2003. All of my life I yearned to meet someone who would simply hear me, not advise me, not criticize me, not even agree with me, just hear me. And my listening, non-judgmental friend does just that. Being heard this way makes me eager to tell more. And my friends know that through really listening, he or she will connect with me. So he or she listens to me with even more intensity. And the two of us connect through the art of listening. Physician Heal Thyself, that was published in 1989, using the same name as the 1955 Big Book Story. If you're looking for it in your fourth edition, it's page 301. I was uh, talking or typing about the book on an AA Facebook group, and an online friend of mine, Bruce, posted the first of a, a three-part YouTube uh, video of Earl M. Uh, sort of talking about his life. We'll post about that. Um, he was asked about Bill W. asking him if he could include his story in the second edition of the big book on the video, and here's what Earl says. I'd given a talk at the Folsom Prism first anniversary meeting. They taped it. Somehow it got back to Bill, and he called me. He said, would you put your story in the big book? I didn't even know what the big book really was. But I said, all right. I flew to New York. I met Bill W. and Lois, Marty M., Harry Tebow, and uh, these were famous guys. They gave it the title, Physician, Heal Thyself. I love that uh, Dr. Earl quote about one alcoholic talking to another. Being heard this way makes me eager to tell more, and my friends know that through really listening, he or she will connect with me. So he or she listens to me with even more intensity. I sometimes say people don't usually need to be told. People need to feel like they're being heard. Earl said it better. <laughs> In the last few minutes of our time together today, I'm going to share what's on my mind for our next podcast. That is, if something shiny doesn't catch my eye and I podcast about that between now and then. I want to expand on something that Rebellion Dogs has been touching on for over a year now, on the fix.com and sometimes on blogs here. Today's AA seems very much like a book-based culture, notwithstanding that you and I know to be true, you can have a perfectly good and legitimate AA meeting without even reading from the book Alcoholics Anonymous. But book-based AA is popular. 
search the Toronto Intergroup Online Meeting Directory, they now have a filter under Type, so you can type Secular Meetings, and you'll find nine meetings in the Greater Toronto Area. And now if you go back to that filter and for Type you put Big Book Meetings, 66 come up, and maybe there's more of them depending on how they're listed. So this mucking, booking approach to AA is way more popular. Earl attests that he didn't even know there was a big book when he was asked to share his story in the second edition. I've told you before that I came to AA in Montreal in the mid-70s and got sober and worked through the steps without ever reading the book. Later, when I was sober over 10 years, I read it, and by then I was in Toronto where big book meetings were very popular. My AA and Earl's, as he eloquently describes, our AA came from the bonding of one alcoholic talking to another, and that talking would break through the isolation and the shame of addiction. People who suffer from substance use disorder, when they talk, they connect in a way that both find healing in their respective uh, recovery journeys. But also, we know there is the I owe my sobriety to being taken through the book by my sponsor the way their sponsor showed them testimony that we've all heard. Maybe some of you have had this experience. I'm not about to support one way over the other. I'll be looking at the one alcoholic talking to another approach, the less codified way, and also the AA narrative by the book. The reason it's predominant, perhaps, is because of big book saturation. Historical data, which I'll share, tell me if you agree or disagree, it frees up some clues to this current pervasiveness of AA being broadly a book-based society. Alcoholics Anonymous, the book, is ubiquitous in a way that it once wasn't in AA culture. I'll go deeper into the numbers, but consider this statistical evolution of AA. 1953, Earl gets sober. 23,300 big books were sold that year. In total, since publication in 1939, we're now up to 281,000 big books in the world. There are 128 1,400 AA members at the time. So one way to look at it, there are two big books in the world for every AA member in 1953. Fast forward to 1975, I was periodically in and out of AA, not yet committed. We saw AA cross over the half million mark, 533,200 members. They were selling 176,000 big books a year. The total accumulated, they finally broke the 1 million barrier, 1.3 million. So again, there's still the two big books in the world for every AA member. But then something happened. While it took 35 years from 39 to the mid-70s to sell 1 million, by 1987 we sold a million a year and kept that pace through 1995. We still sell just shy of a million a year. Looking at the cumulative copies of big books, 
by the World Convention of AA in Atlanta 2015, we handed out the 35th millionth big book. So there are 16 big books out in the world for every AA member. How important is that? I don't know. We'll talk about it next week. We'll look at these numbers in greater detail. We'll also look at why this mucking booking that is so popular in AACA and other mutual aid groups actually works, because it does. Maybe it's because of the content. Maybe it's because of the process of the intimacy of reading out loud together. A book came out this year, and it speaks to the traditional feel-good of reading aloud and being read to, and the wait for it, the now current neuroscience that confirms some of our deep down feelings about the value of reading, and as childish as it sounds, being read to. At any age, Megan Cox Gurdon claims that reading aloud to each other reduces stress hormones and increases bonding hormones. Does this speak to the popularity of booking or being booked? People who love the simplicity of the opposite of addiction is connection will eat this up. I was driving home from my aftercare volunteer shift at Bellwood Health Services just this week, and on the CBC's show The Current, Megan Cox uh, Gurdon was talking about her new book, The Enchanted Hour, The Miraculous Power of Reading Aloud in the Age of Distraction. I couldn't write it all down while I was driving, but here's something I found online from lovelyloveday.com. Anyway, it's about this book. A Wall Street Journal writer's conversation-changing look at how reading aloud makes adults and children smarter, happier, healthier, more successful, and more closely attached even as technology pulls us in the other direction. A miraculous alchemy occurs when one person reads to another, transforming the simple stuff of a book, a voice, and a bit of time into complex and powerful fuel for the heart, brain, and imagination. It's not just about bedtime stories for little kids. Reading aloud consoles, uplifts, and invigorates at every age deepening the intellectual lives and emotional well-being of teenagers and adults, too. So, more on that next show. Thanks for being with us on this show. We'll have links to the Bill W. movie, a history symposium, a video uh, with uh, Dr. Earl M. talking about his life. Thanks for sharing along the journey. It was nice spending some time together. I'm going to close with a song, like a kite needs a string to keep it grounded, and the string needs the kite to be uplifted. We need each other. This is Tomato Tomato, an alt-Celtic band and tunage from Atlantic Canada. It's a duo. Uh, This is the second record of theirs I've really enjoyed. This is their 2018 CD, Canary in a Coal Mine. This is Kite Song. 
you remember it was Tuesday when I found you in that cafe. Cha-cha music playing from the vinyl spinning round. You were sipping on espresso like a bitter manifesto. Talking to yourself, furrow in your brow. Now, now, now. I'd be lost to that baby, a kite without a string. I'd be lost to that baby, just hanging in the wind. I'd be lost to that honey, surely you could see. You'd be lost without me. Was a clumsy introduction Asked you how you liked your muffin You rolled your eyes and shifted in your chair The cha-cha kept on playing I forget what you were saying I was distracted by the color of your hair You didn't care I'd be lost to that baby, a kite without a string. I'd be lost to that baby, just hanging in the wind. I'd be lost to that honey, but surely you could see. You'd be lost without me. You'd be lost without me. Tangled and we're twisted, braided like a rope, left over right. It's a healthy codependence, it'll never break, never come untied. Hey! Does it sound at all familiar? Did I paint a pretty picture? I made a rhyme that you'd be enough Won't push my love I've been lost to that baby A kite without a string I've been lost to that baby Just hanging in the wind I've been lost to that honey Surely you can see You'd be lost without me together.